The views, information or opinions expressed today are solely the views of the individuals involved, including today's guests and does not represent absolute facts and should not be taken as a replacement for medical, clinical, professional advice, diagnosis, or medical intervention. Such views are the views of individuals and do not represent the official opinion of the International OCD Foundation. One of the, the quotes that I absolutely love that I've learned um, to, as a parent, to say to your kid that's playing sports on that car ride home is, is just a simple, I'd love to watch you play and how impactful that is. And, and that creates an environment for your child to open up to you. How's working with your athletes going? Yeah, working with the athletes that I work with has been going really well. Um, I started my business a handful of years ago now, and it's really grown. And um, it's been a lot of fun. And I work with a large range of athletes age-wise, skill level-wise, mm -hmm. um, sport-wise, too. And um, I, I learn more from them sometimes than I think they learn from me. Right, right. So you played goalie um, at Siena. And uh, when did you realize you wanted to go into mental performance? That is a great question. So my, I mean, everyone has their own unique path to where they end up. Um, not shocking at all. I played sports my entire life. Um, I grew up on a sideline. My dad coached football forever and ever. And I have an older brother who's an athlete as well that I went to support all of his games. Surprise, surprise. He was also a lacrosse goalie um, who played at Holy Cross. And um, there's been a lot of lacrosse in my life, a lot of sports in my life. So, you know, every aspect of sports have been important. And going into college, I thought that I wanted to go into athletic training, actually. Um, so I looked at a bunch of different schools and I ended up at Siena, which was the only school where I wouldn't actually have been an athletic training major. Yeah. And I started with biology. And it was interesting that I ended up there somehow um, when I, I was pretty sure that I wanted to go into athletic training. And um, through my, my first couple of years at Siena, I was really interested in the human biology stuff and mm. wasn't getting all of that in my gen bio classes. Of no, course. you're le learning about like plant cells and you're like, why am I here? Yes, exactly. It was not Brutal. my thing. Not my thing. Um, I did take anatomy and physiology and loved that class. Yep. Um, but I, I knew forever that I wanted to go into something with sports. And I thought about maybe coaching or maybe athletic training, maybe physical therapy and, and supporting athletic populations in that way. And nothing really seemed to totally click. And then second semester, sophomore year, I ended up switching my major to psychology. Um, I'd never taken a psychology course. I took an intro to psych course and something kind of clicked for me. And I, I thought it was extremely interesting 
and I seemed to understand things pretty well in the course. So I switched my major and, and jumped all in and really started to love my classes. And I didn't know at the time that sports psychology and mental performance was a thing. Right. So, now, I would go to say it's still a growing field too. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's becoming more of a thing now. For sure. Um, so I think it was between my sophomore and junior year, um, I, I learned that sports psychology was a thing because I started to you know, have that crisis that all uh, college kids have as they approach their junior year and realize, mm -hmm. you know, got to figure everything out and get it together. So um, I saw through some Googling, I was like, oh, sports psychology, that's really cool. So I looked into it a bit more. I started looking into grad schools and I, I was thinking about how important the mental part of sport is, especially within a position like being a goalie. Right. Um, and there's so many sports that a lot of people will say, oh my gosh, this is so mental. Um, sure. And I could use this. And, you know, looking into it more and more, I was like, wow, this is exactly what I need as an athlete and has not been provided to me because it just wasn't enough of a thing yet. Mm -hmm. And I think I'd be really good at this. So I was really fortunate to go down to the New York Giants training camp. There were a connection with um, a, a GM that was at a different location at the time who had formerly been with the Giants, who's now back with the Giants actually. And um, he had, had linked me up with a woman who is a clinical psychologist that was contracted by the New York Giants and did some mental performance work. So I got to go down and meet a ton of the players and front office staff and her, and that really locked it in for me as this is what I'm going to do. So that's how That's I awesome. Did you here. tell them you're a huge Jets fan? I didn't. I actually had a Giants shirt on. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm okay with the Giants. They were yeah, like, you could deal with that. Um, that's yeah. awesome. And then what made you go out to Tennessee? Just the program itself? Yeah, so I did my master's in um, science with a concentration in sports psychology and motor behavior at the University of Tennessee. And I ended up there through a lot of my research. Um, it sounded like a very applied program, which... Mm -hmm is more like doing the work versus the research aspect of things. And right. I really liked that idea. Um, I got accepted. It was right after graduation. Um, acceptance came a little bit late that year. And I was like, okay, well, later this month, I would need to accept this and move to Tennessee, a state that I'd never actually been to in my entire life. So I ended up deferring my acceptance a year. So I had the opportunity to go down and meet with them and make sure it was the right program for me. That's and after awesome. talking with them more, I realized this is exactly what I need. I can do exactly what I want to do with this degree. And things just kind of lined up and it was the perfect spot for me. That's awesome. What was your what was your favorite class in, in, in that in that program that you took? Ooh, I really think just my general intro to sports psychology class. It was my first exposure to sports psychology. And I was reading that, that textbook that we talk about a lot together. Right. And reading through it, I was like, oh my gosh. Everything was just like puzzle pieces floating that were coming right. together. And 
making so much sense. And it helps me reflect on my own college career and looking at different situations and relating them to all of the other student athletes that I was exposed to, whether they were on my team or other teams throughout my whole life. And it just made a lot of sense. And it was just really, really exciting to me because it was the first time I was exposed to this stuff. There's no better feeling than than getting to a place where you feel so excited to be learning. Um, I feel like our education system lacks that until you get to college, which is really upsetting, right? Like in, in high school, like, I mean, I was just talking to one of my athletes today and he was like, yeah, I kind of just go to school because I have to. Like, that's so, that makes me sad that, that, that kids, don't, you know, they don't, they have, that's what they do because a lot of their classes aren't interesting and they, um, it's so exhilarating once you get to that point of, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. And then you just get so involved in the subject and in the class and you look forward to it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's such a good point. And even once you reach college, the college student athletes that I work with, a lot of them don't start really getting into classes that they right. like and that are in their major. Until like what? Junior year. year. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I switched my major. I went into undergrad as a psychology major, switched to bio, quickly realized I would hate my life and switched back to psychology. Um, and then because I realized like I could take anatomy and phys classes and apply to grad school um, for exercise science with the classes I take um, and not have to take gen bio that is, was about plant cells and, and, you know, microorganisms. It's just, it was, just was so not applicable to what I was, to what I was to exercise physiology. Um, but I, I definitely relate to that. When I got to grad school, it was like just fully immersing yourself in that experience of like, oh my gosh, like this is exactly where you're supposed to be. Yeah. It's a good feeling. What do you think, how do you think being a, a collegiate athlete has helped you in your, in your profession? It has helped more than I ever expected it to yeah. be perfectly honest. I think, which is kind of a bummer in a sense, to be perfectly honest, um, that it's opened a lot of doors for me and sure. I get instant credibility Mm -hmm. no matter how much I know just because of that, um, right. which is really cool and very valuable. Right. But you and, also probably want to show people that you know a lot, not just because you're an athlete. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that I have to do a really good job of balancing my personal experience with the research and education that I have. Uh, and not putting myself into the athlete shoes or relating too much in a sense of my own experiences and assuming things from their experience based off of my own experiences, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Because I mean, everybody's journey is so unique and everybody's similar, similar experiences, but very also very specific to the athlete. Absolutely. And I, I do think a big benefit, though, is that there are some intricacies to just athletics in general 
and particularly collegiate athletics at the division mm -hmm. one level that you don't fully understand unless you've been immersed in that community. Right. Uh, right. Either as an athlete or um, in your instance, as a, a strength coach, right. like you, you get it to a certain degree. That's just very different than someone who's been on the outside of that gets it. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that was like always something going into my field that was, was super tough for me was I wasn't a college athlete and like you instantly lose credibility, not being a college athlete. So it's like, you kind of have to learn how to be yourself and gain the respect of, of athletes by just the way you are and the way you care and, and the, what you teach them and, and the way you lead, because they're not, they're not looking up your stats. Right. So it's like, um, you definitely, it was definitely an uphill battle to start. Once you got, once I was at one or two schools and you go to the next school, it was easy. It was like, you know, I, I'd been in the field for a while, but just getting started, it was definitely, I, a lot of my peers were college athletes. So it was definitely, obviously like, do I feel like I could have been a college athlete? Probably. But I just was obviously that, that experience was definitely taken away from me um, in high school. But I think it, it, it's crazy how much credibility is gained from that. Yeah, that's such a good point. And you're such a perfect example of that. And I, I'm thinking about the quote, um, I hope I don't mess it up, but they they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yep. yep. Right. So that's a, a perfect example Definitely. of it that I mean, there there are so many people who were former athletes who aren't good at coaching or whatever, right. or mental performance, who don't have the education in it. And then there are so many professionals that weren't former collegiate athletes that are phenomenal phenomenal at their jobs 100 percent, and so helpful so it's it's really about a lot more than just that definitely what's the uh what's the youngest age you work with currently Ooh, so i have just once um from a, a friend of mine worked with a six-year-old oh my god was so cute and so fun um what sport baseball wow yeah so it's a lot of fun um we did a lot of like drawing pictures and like talking about things through that that way of learning yeah um but more typically my clientele is from 13 to gosh with covid and the extra years yeah. who knows how old our college athletes are 27 year old sophomore yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah oh gosh yeah um that's a good age range i mean you get a, you, you probably get a, a pretty different a unique demographic from from that age range i feel yeah. do you think that you working with a six-year-old do you think your education and motor behavior helped you in that in that Yes, I I think that that definitely helped knowing more. I think developmental psychology as well, right, right. what they're into, what they know, um, what they're capable of. Um, I'm going to do things very differently with a six year old than I do with a 32 year old golfer that I work with. Right, um, very different conversations, but um really the same concepts just worded more simplistically and simple mm -hmm. doesn't mean dumbed down right um, 
So a little bit of that. And I, I actually, after I had graduated, um, as I was building my business to earn some money and just kind of do my own little research for myself to make me a better practitioner, I did a lot of substitute teaching. So wow. I taught from pre-K all the way up through seniors in high school and I was in a different location every day. And just through that, I learned so much about different age groups oh, and I bet. what they like and what they're capable of, besides just the research that you read, it was right. hands-on experience, which I right. think helped me immensely. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't substitute hands-on experience. Like you could read, I love research too, but like you can, you could read all the journal articles in the world, but like, if you, if, if you can't be able to to work with people and of different ages and, and different skill sets it's just you're not gonna you don't it's way easy it's way easier to to learn by by doing for sure in my, in my opinion yeah it's it's the perfect combination of both is what you need to be really great at what you do What's up? It's your host, Tom Smalley. You're listening to the Smalls Talk Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to like and subscribe. Talk to me a little bit about building your business. Like, when did you decide? These obviously, there's there's a lot of different routes you could have gone um, in mental performance. Um, when did you decide you wanted to build, make your own business, create your own business? And what was that process like? Because... I feel like when when you major in in sciences and you, and you have to build a business, it's not easy because I I'm doing the same I've done the same thing. It's just like like I have no, I had no business experience at all, and then I'm gonna try to to market myself and stuff. So, um, how did the, how did that start and how that begin? What inspired that? Yeah, so. As I was graduating Tennessee, I was thinking about like, what do I want to do moving forward? And the things that I value, the things that were important to me um, at the time, there weren't many opportunities to just apply to a job in mental performance and right. like a, a typical field where you graduate, you get the degree, you yep. apply to a bunch of different jobs, you go on interviews, you get one and you're totally fine. Right. It's really not like that. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought a bit about it and I had a lot of background working with the military um, through creating and implementing a program with Army ROTC at University of Tennessee with some of my colleagues. And um, between my two years, I interned at West Point and spent a lot of time with Army cadets. And I, I thought that that might be a really great opportunity because there are a lot of opportunities in mental performance that exist within the Army. Right. I looked into it more and was like, Mm, I don't think I want to be in a remote location at an army base. Yeah. I'm not going, it's, I'm going to be so fulfilled with my professional life, but not my personal life. And yeah. my family's so incredibly important to me and I wanted to be near my family. So I decided to do the hard thing um, and go, well, I'm not back home, but I'm a, you know, hour away from home. So I'm close right. enough to my family right. And um, I, I'm in the location that I want to be in. So my only opportunity, because in this location, you can't apply to a mental performance job that just doesn't pop up. Right. So it kind of forced my hand a little bit in creating my own opportunities, which is something yeah, I was interested in too. 
so that's kind of why I ended up doing that. And and to your point, I I didn't have any business experience. I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants here and still feel like that sometimes. Right. You know, I've had a a lot of friends who've done something similar and we all kind of talk with each other and talk about best practices and, and what's going on. And I was really fortunate that uh, my dad had some experience with creating LLCs. So mm-hmm. this is Infinity Mental Performance LLC. Um, so he could guide me a bit through that process of the logistical business end of things. Yeah. As I start to to build and grow now having this LLC for a handful of years. Right, right. Yeah, that was something that like I thought was so daunting, and I was so intimidated by, it, and I literally just did it in a day. Yeah, it really was. Like, I literally went. I met with a lawyer, and he was like, "All right, so this is what you need to sign." And I was like, "Wait, wait, like that's it? Like it's, yeah. it's not that challenging." Um, yeah. Which is like, I think I just see the letters, and I was like, "I don't know if I could do that." <laughs> yeah, and it's a whole like legal thing, right? And- like you don't have to do anything with an LLC if you don't want to. So right, it, it right. takes a little bit of pressure off that once you learn more and realize, okay, well, this can be whatever I want it to be. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think you just kind of gain that experience and rely on people that have been there before, right? I mean, like, that's the, that's the same way with, I had, I, I, I was, t- asked, somebody asked me my rates the other day for, for a one-on-one training session. And I told, he's been like a business mentor of me. Um, he, I rent space from uh, Suarez Physical Therapy. He's a great guy, Pat Suarez. And I swear he wanted to hit me over the head. He was like, dude, you are underselling yourself. And like, to me, like, it's just like, I am, I chronically do that. I swear. Like, it's just, it's super hard to, to, to gauge like, am I worth this? Like, even like when a parent asked me, I like, I know they're going to say, okay, cool. But even just telling them the rate, I'm like, 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 I can't even like, I can't even like say it out loud. (laughs) Gosh, Tom, I could not relate more to that. And the amount of times that I've had friends be like, ah, Danielle, like, seriously, you need to raise that. Like, do you know where you live? Do you know what's happening? Right. What are you thinking? And it's so hard. That's the toughest part about it. And a lot of students that I mentor in mental performance, it's always a conversation that we have. And it always feels way more awkward than it needs to because it's something so important. And I learned a little bit while I was at Tennessee, but then I was in Tennessee, I was in the South and now I'm in New York. So just that move alone, plus having a degree and a certification right. changes things incredibly. So yeah, it's a it's a tough conversation to have. And I always feel so cringy every time. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> and, and the reality is like we shouldn't, right? Like like you wouldn't go to a dentist and like the dentist wouldn't be like, um, it's three hundred dollars. I don't know, maybe if you can pay that. Like I'll give you a a two hundred dollar discount though. Like they don't do that. And the reality is like you're you're providing a very valuable service. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's just like, but that's what mental performance, um, whether, and then physical therapists, I know I've talked to that, that feel the same way. Like there's like this weird, I don't, I don't know if it's a stigma or this, this weird societal norm of like, 
oh, like they they should be less expensive. And it's like, okay, but what about the all the other like if you go to mechanic, your car is you're gonna spend seven hundred dollars. I go to Firestone to get an oil change, and then I end up walking out of there with like a thousand dollar purchase because they say my car is gonna break down. So this is your body, this is your brain. You should be investing in your body and your brain way more than a car, right? And I think um, that's where kind of like our mindset has kind of shifted in this world. That's such a great point, Tom. And I think something that holds me back sometimes too is that I so desperately needed access to these services when I was a student athlete. Even through my whole athletic career, I would have benefited. And and to to side note quick, these services are not for people that necessarily are struggling with something specific. Like they're for everyone, right. which right. is about it. But that's my my high horse. Um, but I struggle a bit with not wanting to have my rates too high that people say, no, you're too expensive. I can't do this now. And then they totally agree. the only person that can, can do this in the area. Right. Um, right. There are more now, thanks to you. Um, so that will be good, but, right. um, it, it's a, a, yeah, it's, it's something to, that I get stuck in my head, but I, For I really, sure. no one. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. Like there's, there's a, and I think that's why, you know, that's what I explained to Pat. I was like, I just can't like in my right mind, like in my heart, like I want to be able to provide value to people. And I know, you know, like just financially, it's tough to pay such a high rate. So I end up underpricing, but I think I just go a little too far. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think it's, it's I think it, it is a tough, it's, it's absolutely just a, uh, it's a sliding scale and something that like you just keep working on and trying to under and try to perfect, like understanding and just kind of valuing yourself enough. Um, because at the end of the day, it is your time and your, and your effort. And um, I think it's super important to value ourselves as professionals. Um, but I think like th that's, it's such, it's so funny because like people just don't like talking about it. Like even when I was in, like when I was a college strength coach, it was like asking about what the salary was on a, on a job interview was like, absolutely like appalling by the ad and it's like oh i'm sorry like i want to know if i'm gonna be making more than forty thousand dollars a year and if like so i can you know feed my live? family yeah sorry i want to be able to live so it's just yeah. like but i feel like sports um are this such this such an amazing thing but also the culture within sports is um very much so workhorse and and work ethic and, and hard work and emphasizing that all the time. And I think sometimes people don't take a step back and realize like the value you're actually providing. And so it's important to stand up for yourself for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's so important. And the amount of times that I've talked with friends, even about, I mean, about salary negotiations and how to go about that and, how to raise prices and how different people do it. And it's like, do you grandparent people into your old pricing if they've been with right. you a while or do you raise it? And there are just so many questions and there's no standard that's out there, especially for fields like ours. Um, and if you go to compare pricing and you go on people's websites, nobody has their prices on their website. No. I mean, I know I don't because I, I'm constantly just adjusting and changing them. So right. I can't right. I think I, I but that, that makes sense to me because just having that flexibility is, is good. Yeah. Um, because the reality is like, 
if if somebody that couldn't financially afford afford me, like I know for myself, if someone looked at my website and saw the price and they said, oh, I can't afford it, maybe they won't contact me now. But like the reality is if they contacted me, I'd probably adjust the rate for them. Exactly. Um, just because I want to, I want to see them succeed. I want to, I want to be able to provide that that service for them. So it's nice to be able to have that flexibility to bring in, um, also just a lot of you know a big, a more diverse clientele too, and just more people being able to to access the care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. What's it like then going to Siena back as a mental performance consultant, having played college across there. Yes. So I, yeah, I am with the athletic department now. Um, it's my third year there and, um, it's been a lot of different things. It's been really exciting. It's been, Mm -hmm. I I don't know, like it's hard to put words to it because it's so full circle to to be back there and, live in this area and provide these services. It's fulfilling in the sense that I was in a spot during my career where I really needed this. Mm-hmm. And now any of those student athletes that are in the spot that I was in when I was there, have this. I have a resource and right. it's yeah. really a cool feeling. And I, I tell the student athletes when I meet with the teams that I don't, to be quite frank, I don't dream of working with Olympians. I don't dream of working in professional sport. I don't dream of working for an SEC school or a big 10 school or whatever. I I'm at the place where I want to be. Like this is yeah. my dream to be at Siena. And yeah. um, it's a really important opportunity for me that I created that I've worked really hard to be where I am. And I'm really grateful that I've been given the opportunity and have proved the worth of mental performance services and how they are. And I've had a lot of support from some really phenomenal people there along the way that I'm extremely grateful for. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I'd love to hear more about how you kind of have proved the worth of it, because I think it is something where obviously your first year, it's like, um, I, I would imagine you had to build some buy-in with athletes, right? Because I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to use the word apprehensive, but I think maybe just lack of knowledge of, of what mental performance can do for, for athletes and, and, and for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely been a process. I, I think going into it, um, we were post COVID very freshly post COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of a reaction to the chaos that COVID created. Right. And I was only doing three sessions a week, which is crazy looking yeah. back at it in the first semester. And I had a instant wait list a mile long. And that alone just blew my mind right. that all I did with the, um, the AD that I work with was um, put out just a little flyer that said, this is who I am. This is what this is. And you have access to these services if you want to sign up. And they would email 
the staff member and she would set up my schedule and I'd go in and she had a crazy wait list of student athletes that were wanting to get in for sessions. And that alone was, I mean, I knew it was going to be needed, but I also know my bias because I love what I do. And I think it's right. so important because I do it, of course. But it was just so gratifying to see how much this was needed. And then it was just instant growth from there um, because I work with wonderful people who were like, oh, we see that there's a need for this. Let's find more of a budget for this. So they were able to move some stuff around and, and work their magic. And the budget exists if they find the need for something. And right. you know, they're, they're going to make some moves if, if it's important. And they proved that it, it is important to them. So they made yeah. the moves and we, that, we made it happen. That, you highlight a really, really good point. I've said it probably, people are probably tired of hearing me say it on this podcast is, is the money is there. I would say 90% of the time, the money's there. These schools cost 60, 50, 60, 70 K to go to like the money's there. Um, it's just a matter of, are you going to allocate the funds for the need, the resources necessary? And it's, it makes me happy that, especially because I'm not a Siena alum that they're, that they're allocating the resources for necessary, uh, allocating the money for necessary resources because that's that's really what matters. Like these schools say they can't afford it. You know, I was at some smaller division ones and some D2s and they would say they can't afford it, but then they'd be paying their football coach $400,000 a year to win two games. And it's like, all right, well, like let's look at, at the bigger picture. We have we had seven athletes this year alone that were that were suffering from performance anxiety that couldn't that couldn't have a resource and didn't have didn't have anywhere to go like what's more important right like we want to provide what we say we're going to provide for these athletes when we recruit them um and i think that's that it's 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 super refreshing to know that sienna and, and more schools are following that suit of, of understanding you have to have this kind of resource on Definitely. And, and a lot of times we see things happen very reactionary mm -hmm. uh, versus proactively. And I'd love to see things happen more proactively because right. that's where, where we prevent <laughs> these situations from popping up and these more severe situations and mental performances on that mental health spectrum. And right. we have a policy of just get somebody in a door. It doesn't matter what door you get in, we're going to get right. you place. Right. And I, I work very closely with the counseling center at the school and um, the health promotion office. And, you know, we've got a, a good referral system and there's a nutritionist as well that we've got right. a resource to. So it's really just knowing what exists and making sure that we refer to the appropriate people and knowing that I can't do everything and I'm not qualified to do everything. So mm -hmm. It's, it's being humble enough to know that, yes, I want to help. And, and sometimes the best help is getting them to a place that's not me sometimes. So, right. Definitely. Um, and that's a huge, um, a really good point and a really good testament to you, to you not having an ego. Right. I think like, like sometimes people won't, won't refer out because they want to be the ones to, to be helping them or solving. And it's like, what are we really here for? We're here for the, the benefit of the student athlete and, and helping them be their best self. So like, 
if that's not me, like, then it's not me. Absolutely. And that, and that comes with experience too, feeling mm -hmm. comfortable and secure enough and, and your experience to know that you can't do everything, even though you want to sometimes. Right. Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's a field that's definitely growing. And I mean, uh, you see, I mean, we talk, we talk about it all the time and you was like with baseball, like, I mean, those that they have such a strong hold on mental performance there. And and how many people they're hiring in in the minor leagues, major leagues, um, in in different baseball organizations. So it's definitely growing a ton. Um, I think people sometimes still get confused, like that a mental performance consultant may not be uh, is not a technically a clinical psychologist and is not going di to diagnose you. And um, and so I've seen schools also hire, you know. CMPCs for, you know, the whole counseling center. And it's like, no, like this is for mental performance, um, you know, not for mental health counseling. And I think there's definitely a, a stark difference. And, and it's just important for people to do their research too. Absolutely. And in looking into the qualifications of the people, if you're, you don't have access to someone um, within your organization, um, to the, the parents or other listeners out there, if you're seeking these services, look into the education and the background of these professionals, because there are a lot of people out there that aren't certified and don't have the education and quite frankly, don't know what exactly they're doing. None of their right. strategies are research-based. There are so many former athletes that are now saying, I can teach you the mental game. And, you know, there, like we said before, there is value in your own personal experience, but what worked for you is not going to work for everyone. And that's where it's extremely important to know these research-backed techniques. And right. it's also very different, like you just said, too, from the clinical aspect of things. So, you know, if you have a background in clinical psychology, a therapist, a counselor, a psychologist, there's an incredible amount of knowledge that you need in the sports science aspect of things to be able to be successful and be qualified to right. work with an athlete population on mental performance skills and techniques. Right. And I mean, I could go on all day about that and it's, it's frustrating. And I, I hope that through more education from the association for applied sports psychology and different organizations like that, just, being able to get the information out there to consumers to know and ask the right questions um, of, of what you're looking for in a practitioner. How are they qualified to help? What have you seen from your high school athletes regarding parental pressure? Um, just shifting gears. We have about 10 minutes. I just want to touch on this a little bit because I think it's something that I've seen after I left the college setting and was that, you know, was working with a lot of high school athletes. It was like, Johnny has to go to you at three o'clock and then he has to go to baseball at five. And then he has hockey from eight to 11 PM. And then he has to go do homework and he's seven years old. Like, like, what do you, what do you see? Because I, I just found it the most unbelievable thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, parent culture is, is a crazy thing. I mean, Parents love their kids. At the end of the day, parents love their kids and they're, they're doing what they think is best for them. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes what we do as parents 
might not be the most helpful. And I, I think being humble enough and receptive enough to take the time to listen to your kids is so incredibly important. Right. Um, the listening aspect of things, are they enjoying what they're doing? And, and there is value of sticking out a season if you committed to something um, and recognizing when we might be adding pressure um, and opening up that conversation. And um, one of the, the quotes that I absolutely love that I've learned um, to, as a parent, to say to your kid that's playing sports on that car ride home is, is just a simple, I'd love to watch you play and how impactful that is. And, and that creates an environment for your child to open up to you um, and feel less pressure. Everyone always talks about the car ride home as this big mm -hmm. thing. And I'm sure you know exactly what I mean, that yep. we've all had those experiences and, and we've heard of those experiences or seen those experiences. And just having the self-awareness as a parent to know, yes, I love my kid. I want the best for them. And, and like I said, just listen, just listen to what they want and what they need and trust. And, and you're going to fumble along the way as a parent, you're going to fumble along the way as a, a young person growing up. Right, and it's right. all part of this learning process that we need in order to learn what we like, learn what we don't like. You're never, you know, hundred percent stuck in a situation. Um, you always have the power to go back if you decide to go back or, um, quit if you don't want to play anymore, right. not bringing you joy. Um, right. so, so finding the simplicity in things and the value of working hard and committing to something while also, um, having fun at the same time, like those things can go together. They are not opposite. Right. 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 Yeah, definitely. No, I agree. Yeah, my dad used to be like, "Why didn't? Why? How'd you miss that tackle?" <laughs> um, no, nah, my parents were super supportive and and were very good. Um, but I think like it's definitely, definitely uh, very prevalent in today's culture. Is everybody's just trying to? It's like an arms race of of parents trying to get their kid to the, the next offer or you know the, to be the next best thing. And I, the reality is like we need to make sure the kid wants that and the kid wants to, to pursue this at a high level, right? Don't put that pressure on them because it's not going to, it's not going to do them any good to, to not discover that on their own. Exactly. How have you had to help athletes discover whether they want to pursue it at a higher level? Um, it, it's so dependent on the situation. Um, I think just create, first of all, creating a trusting environment where they feel comfortable to open up. And I know this is something we've talked about together outside of your podcast, where, um, a, a lot of really talented athletes that, um, that experience some pressure, whether it's from parents or, teammates or coaches or whatever it might be that are really high level promising athletes. There's a big difference between what we see for them and what we want for them and what they might want for themselves sometimes. 
Right. So creating an environment where you are accepting, you have this unconditional positive regard for them and they feel that and they know that, that they have somebody where they can say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm really not happy with the way things are going right now. And then I always break it down. Is it the environment? Is it the sport? Like what, what specifically is not adding up for us right now? And is it something we can change? Is it something we want to change? Um, and, and where does your happiness lie? Do you, you know, feel committed to this sport that you really want to go all in and find your love for it again? Or are we going to take time to see what else is out there for you? And, and those are very honest conversations that can be really scary for high school athletes in particular. Um, even college athletes, they've got more at stake. That's a whole other conversation with scholarships in play, if that's right. a situation. But, you know, there there is a lot of pressure that exists and just being a space where they feel comfortable to open up about that is is really valuable. Definitely, definitely. I like I love the point you made earlier too about and you've told me this when I was when I was telling you about an athlete um, that decisions aren't you know it's not you know stepping away or or it's not not playing like it's not your decision isn't just final forever right like you can you know especially when they're younger right if they might need a break and and might want to come back to it and that's okay too yeah and they're they're all types of options that exist. It's not just this black and white, either I play or I don't play. Like you've got, you've got different options. You can be recreational. If that's where it brings you the most joy, you can be right. high level competitive at a, you know, national championship contender team um, right. and, and anything in between. You can find your love in that sport again through coaching. Sometimes I right. talk to student athletes about that aspect of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Danielle, thanks so much for coming on. I know you got to run. Uh, we'll do this again sometime. Uh, I'm excited to, for our listeners to, to hear um, your journey. And I'll make sure to plug um, Infinity Mental Performance in the, uh, the episode description. And uh, thank you again. I'm very, very glad to have you as, as a mentor. Thank you, Tom. I am so grateful to have you as a mentee and so grateful that you asked me to be on your podcast. And I'm sure this could be like a four hour episode. Yeah, uh, there, we'll everybody. And maybe we'll come back and go part two sometime. Yeah, we definitely should. Thank Thanks, you. Tom.